These uh, two beautiful rock islands are found in the middle of the Sea of Japan. Um, the South Koreans call them Doko, and the Japanese uh, call them Tashima. They consist of three main inhabitants, a fisherman, his wife, and a poet. And along with them are 30 policemen. Wouldn't you love to live like that? <laughs> it must be a rowdy crowd, huh? Um, no, it's not because of the crowd on the island. It's for the same reason that the Japanese and the South Koreans have different names for these two islands. Uh, because it's these <clears throat> two islands that have uh, kept the South Koreans and the Japanese from being on friendly terms with each other. It's their claim on these literally two pieces of rock out in the middle of nowhere that neither can see from their shorelines that two major industrial countries can't get along. That's something. Two pieces of rock containing a fisherman, his wife, and a poet stopped two countries from getting along. <clears throat> I was thinking about that this week. As I was thinking in my own mind about the images of Thanksgiving, because <clears throat> Thanksgiving, we have the image of, of people coming together and just laying down all their differences and getting along and gathering around tables and eating pie and, and turkey and all the things that, that have been made and people have brought. And, and it's a beautiful image. And we get the image because when we think of Thanksgiving, we think of the first Thanksgiving where they all did this. Now, it isn't quite true. Um, in fact, the truth is, at the first Thanksgiving, there were no women they were still on the Mayflower waiting for their men to come back and tell them whether things were safe. And it was only a few men, and they were celebrating with some Indians, the Wampanoag Indians, but the celebration was more of a demonstration of an alliance. Because just... A little prior to that, the pilgrims had robbed the Wampanoag of all of their corn and grain from their storehouses and had even robbed their graves to get the clothing off of those who were buried because of the brutal weather. And so the Wampanoag, being outnumbered, decided to enter into an alliance, and so they gathered together for Thanksgiving. Now, I hope I haven't thoroughly depressed you. Um, the second Thanksgiving was, was a good one. Um, getting along has never been easy. I mean, from the time of, time of Cain and Abel, getting along has been a hard thing to do. It's not easy. It's not pretty. I mean, from marriages to neighbors to employers and employees, to nations. I mean, think about it. 
Why do we have marriage therapists? Why do we have police officers? Why do we have the United Nations? Why do we have courts? Because we struggle as a people to get along, and yet we all want it. It's just so hard in getting it. And yet, real thanksgiving is built around people getting getting along. I want to, we'll put this on the screen. Uh, Psalm 95, look at the words we read. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us give a loud shout to the rock who saves us. Let us come to him and give him thanks. Now, when, when you read those verses, what jumps out at you? Two words, let us. Because real celebration is celebration that happens in cooperation with one another. Real thanksgiving is thanksgiving that takes place when we come together and we share with others the good things that God has been doing in our lives. And others celebrate with us as we celebrate with them. Real thanksgiving should be a gathering of people who get along with one another. There's an old adage that goes like this. Get along to go along. Or excuse me, go along to get along. The idea is that you simply just go along with people so that you get along with them so that you maintain your security, you maintain um, your position, your friendships with others. You can form for the sake of not being left out. Now, most people understand that's not a good thing. Going along just to get along. And yet, when we say that, there's a piece of it that feels right. I mean, shouldn't we get along? And if we, if we get along, doesn't it make it easier to go along? This morning, I want us to look at what it means to get along with one another. And while going along or getting along to go along isn't what God has ordained, I do believe that getting along to go along is what God ordained because there's a difference between the two. There's a difference between just going along to get along and getting along to go along. We're going to flesh this out this morning uh, from Hebrews chapter 10. Um, this is a great passage. It is a passage that we move into this transition that based upon all the things that God has done, what we are now called and compelled to do. And I want you to think of this. As we look at this passage, what I want to share with you is how to get along to go along. Because 
we get along to go along with God. If we are going to go with God, we have to get along with each other. In 1 John, we're told, if you say you love God and hate your neighbor, you lie. Because you can't love God and hate your neighbor. You have to get along if you're going to go along with God. So here's what I want you to think about. How do we do that? How do we get along to go along with God? First thing I'm going to tell you is you do it with your head. Look what we read. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, confidence is what brings us boldness. It's what gives us a sense of security and esteem and a willingness to risk because we're sure of the outcome. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest, we have someone who's always interceding on our behalf, who's always watching over us and ministering to us. Over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance, no doubt, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Now, how do you get along with people? You use your head. You use your head first by recognizing, why am I looking to get along with people? Because I don't know if you've noticed, people aren't easy to get along with. People don't seem to get it right and understand that what we want is really in everybody's best interest, right? People have a hard time getting along, and we have a hard time getting along with people. Getting along with people just for the sake of getting along is just going along to get along. Getting along when you use your head is different because you base it on a knowledge. You base it on a knowledge that you have been made whole in Christ. You base it on a knowledge that you are loved with an everlasting love and that you have been freed up to be fired up to go out and do for others as God has done for you in Christ. You see, using our head means that we seek to get along with others, not because of what we want from them, because of what God has already done for us. You see, with that that confidence that we have, with that understanding that the deal has been sealed in Christ Jesus' blood, with the understanding that that we can now go before God and ask for anything because we have a high priest who will minister to us and that he has cleansed us so we don't have to feel guilty about anything. We don't have to walk around in shame before anyone 
we can get along with people because we use our heads and we recognize we don't have to live dependent on what other people think. I can get along with someone and not worry about whether they're going to accept me or whether they're going to reject me. Uh, I can get along knowing that even if I get hurt in trying to get along with others, I have a God who's big enough to heal me. You see, I can use my head and recognize that I don't have to worry about anything. That I worship a God who's got everything in his hands and that he has called me to get along. Not only so I can go along, but I can help others to go along and show them how to go along and experience intimacy with him. You see, when I use my head when it comes to getting along with people and I understand that all that God has given me, I can go out and I can consider others. That means that I can go out and I can take people as I find them. I don't have to be looking for the pretty people, the educated people, or the popular people. I don't have to worry about, well they come from this side of the tracks or they do this or they're involved. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to be fickle or whether I'm going to lose my way or whether they're going to... Because I take people the way I find them because God took me that exact same way. If you're going to get along with people, you've got to take them the way you find them. And if you do that, you're going to often be surprised that there's more there than you ever thought. Getting along means that you take people as you find them. It also means that you look for what they need. Getting along means that, that I'm seeking to understand who they are what they're up against, what they struggle with. Because getting along with God is like that. God gets along with us because God is always mindful of our needs. He's a high priest who's looking to close the gap between us and God. Getting along means that I take people as I find them. I look for what they need. I don't judge their flaws and I don't worry about them judging mine. What does it take to get along with people? Just a willingness to use your head. Just a willingness to consider others. To show them that you care because you're willing to listen. You're willing to show up. Getting along doesn't really require a whole lot. The reason we struggle to get along is because we think everybody has to agree. The reason we struggle with getting along is because we think that if they don't think like us, then maybe we're wrong. And so we have to prove it to them so we can prove it to ourselves. But you see, if, if we walk confidently with God, if we use our heads, I have nothing to prove. God has already proved it. 
I have this great high priest. It's all sealed in the blood of Christ. I can get along with anybody. All you have to do is use your head. And if you want to get along, you have to consider others. In fact, Paul says in Philippians, I think I almost say this every week, but it's so powerful to me. Consider others better than yourselves. Not in a dependent worm theology, but in the way that Christ lowered himself to die on a cross for us. Not because he needed us, but because he loved us. Getting along means this. If you're going to get along with people at work, if you're going to get along with people in your family, you've got to use your head. You've got to stop and think about what you're going to say, not because you're trying to prove something, not because you want people to be like you, just simply because you want to help them go along with God. Getting along to go along. It happens when you use your head. It also happens when you use your heart. That we consider how we might spur one another on to love. Because that's some ultimate motivation, isn't it? There is no greater motivation than affection. Because affection is all the inspiration we need. You ever see couples who are just newly going out with one another? You know, they're always holding hands and wrapping their arms around each other and mugging it up at every red light. They don't need to be told to do that, right? There's this affection that's powerful and it's a passion and it's the motivation they have. And if you've been behind him, right, it's an inspiration. You look at them and, and you look at your wife and you just touch her shoulder. You know, little steps. <clears throat> there is no greater motivation than affection. And affection happens when we're, we're willing to just be, to be vulnerable when we're willing to let people see inside of us. When we're willing to let people see the bad as well as the good. To see us laugh and to see us cry. It's, it's when we're willing to show them that we're not afraid of them, we're not competing with them, we don't fear them but we want to know them and we want them to know us. It happens when we're willing to be vulnerable. It happens when we're willing to be charitable. When we show them that we care more about what they have to say than what we have to say. And so we look and we listen with interest because that'll melt somebody's heart. How many people in an average day, in an average week, look you in the eye and listen to what you say intently and ask even 
helpful or probing questions to know you better. Does your boss do that? Does your boss ever say, what do you think about this? Or, Mark, how do you feel about that? He doesn't care how you feel. He just wants it done. But to be charitable, to show someone that you really care, that, that you're there, you're connected. To be humble, to not look to be the person who always has the right answer, to be the one who wants to speak first to get the attention, to be the person who's even teachable, that we're willing to listen to others. We want to hear others. We want to learn from them. We recognize that God has put us in this incredible ball field where there's plenty of room to, to move and to grow and to know and we don't have to be narrow. You know, it, nothing irritates me more than when people talk about Christians being narrow and I know there are some Christians who are narrow but the truth is the whole, to me the whole mindset of being a Christian, you can't be narrow because God is not narrow. To be charitable, to be teachable, to be humble to be available, to make yourself available to them so that they know you care about them. You know, there's an old saying that nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And in the same way that people won't care what you believe until they see how you behave. It matters. How do you get along with people? You use your head. You think about them. You think about yourself. You think about your call to relate. You use your heart. You understand that affection is the best motivation. It's an affection that has respect, that has boundaries. But it's willing to care. It's, it's willing to tear. It's willing to reach out. You use your hands. Consider how we may love and spur each other on to good deeds. Because affection has to show up in action. You want to get along with people, you do something for people. You show them that you're willing to put your time and your resources risk for them. You're willing to to look and find a need and try to fill it. To find a hurt and try to heal it. That you're willing to look for something that's broken and try to fix it. That you're willing to show up and roll up your sleeves and work and labor on their behalves. Nobody hates that. Someone shows up to your house and starts raking your leaves. And saying, you know, I just, I thought it might make your day easier. You're going to hate that? Love and deeds. The willingness to put things at stake for other people. 
and not worrying about will I fail or will they receive it and accept it and will they thank me for it? Not worrying about well, I don't have enough to do the whole thing and so why bother? It won't make a difference. Because you know what? Every good deed makes a difference. Makes a difference. God. And that's the reason we're getting along. Is we're trying to go along. Jesus said to his disciples what? Follow me. Go along with me. And I'll always be with you. And my goal is that we might reach everyone else. But you've got to get along. You've got to be willing to care and to, and to risk your resources knowing that it's not a risk because you outgive God. You've got to be willing to use your head and your heart and your hands if you want to get along with people. And you've got to be willing to use your hope. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Using our hope means that we're willing to engage, we're willing to connect, we're willing to be there and, and not run away. We're, we're willing to show up in people's lives if they're having a bad day. We're willing to do it within the context of church and of worship that, that we don't give up on each other. We continue to pray for each other even if someone's going through a hard time. We don't get in the habit of, of just shrinking back quickly we don't give up because of the hope that we have we just keep encouraging people my friend Bob Decker um, worked at YDC in Manchester and he was um, he was one of the house residents uh, one of the cottage residents for the kids and uh, and there was a young man there actually I worked there for a summer and I, and I knew him when he just started working there, and he was, went by the, the name of Coach. Everybody knows him as Coach. And a uh, nice kid, really hyper, um, didn't know the Lord. And Bob prayed for him every day for over 20 years. And every time you'd see him, he would encourage him and tell him about the Lord and, and just encourage him to go to church. And, and Coach came to Christ. And he tells that story to everybody. And he knew those 20 years that Bob was praying for him every day. Because Bob never gave up hope. Bob was always willing to encourage. Always willing to get along to try to bring someone along. See, we're called to get along with people and not to give up. Not to get engaged in the habit that other people get into where 
they get hurt and they run or or they don't start because everyone else has stopped. We don't live with those habits. You see, we use our heads and we consider we're pouring into others and God wants them to come along as he's called us to come along and so we use our hearts. We care about them. We spur them on as they spur us on. In affection, we inspire and in return, they inspire and motivate us. And we roll up our sleeves and we dig in and and we help each other to bring about love and good deeds. And we never stop hoping. See, if you do that, you'll get along. You show up tonight at the dinner and you want to get along with people, that's how you do it. You don't do it by grabbing the first leg you see of the turkey. You don't do it by asking someone else to get something for you. You get it for them. And you carry it on through the week to your boss, to your employee. And yet, are there people out there that just are not going to get it? Are there people who are messed up and they just, they don't know how to get along with people? Yep. But you know what? It doesn't matter to you. <laughs> Nowhere in the Bible you see verses that says, parentheses, um, prologue, um, you know, disclaimer, you don't do this for messed up people. Yeah, sorry, no disclaimers. In fact, Jesus said what? And this wraps it all up. Love your enemies. Isn't that a killer? (laughs) Love your enemies. Because you'll make a better friend by doing it. I want to read from you, uh, as I close, a a transcript or just um, a couple of sorted passages that I pulled out um, from Brian Moore's book. Um, that just really uh, spoke to me, and, and particularly as, as, I, as I've known him for all my life. Um, and how he learned to get along with Muslims. Because, uh, <coughs> quite honestly, when he went to Iraq and when he went to Afghanistan, he mainly thought Muslims were the people you shot. When he got to Afghanistan, he met up with a group of Muslims called the Mujahideen, or the Afghan National Army, who were allies with Americans. And those pictures are really faded, but that's Brian and a bunch of them. You can't see it. Um, Can you make that out? Um, With Afghan National Army people who who became very, very special to him. Listen to what he writes. Throughout my tour in Afghanistan, I made every effort to spend time in prayer and devotions. I did not like where I had gone spiritually with my thoughts towards Muslims. One morning while drinking coffee made from used coffee grounds in coca, I noticed an ANA, African National Army soldier, staring at me. We exchanged greetings and he asked me what I was reading. I responded, holy book, to which he replied with a smile, good sergeant. (laughs) 
His response gave me pause. I wondered what he actually thought about my Christian faith in my holy book. I asked our interpreter what their thoughts were on my faith. They believed that many of the Afghan soldiers saw my expression of faith as an indication that I was a righteous man. Being a man of faith carried much more weight with these soldiers than I was originally aware of. And it caused me to ponder, pray, and read scripture all the more. I was then moved by the Spirit to look beyond myself and to realize that God had brought me out here in the Afghan wilderness to be a light for these Muslim soldiers, and that otherwise they would never be able to see. It was always this way between God and me. Whenever I was self-absorbed with my own situation, he would drop someone into my lap that obviously needed his love, and I was the only vessel to carry it to them. One thing I had always done, but deci- I had always done, but decided to make more obvious, was to pray just prior to going out outside the wire on a dangerous mission. Sure enough, some of the ANA uh, soldiers saw what I was doing and asked the interpreter to inquire. I explained that I was praying that God would protect us during this mission, and that when we found the enemy, He would make us brave, fast, and accurate. The ANA, the ANA liked this prayer because it reinforced their cultural perception as holy warriors. From that point forward, some of the soldiers would ask me to pray for them before we left for the mission. My, my tour in Afghanistan ended on a high note, but with some reservations as well. I had come a long way from when I had first arrived, believing that all Muslims were like those that I had met in Iraq or worse. I was now at a place where not only did I have a great, greater appreciation of Muslims in general, but I considered some of them close friends. These Afghan Muslim soldiers had shared their food with me, talked with me about home, family, politics, and religion. At times, they had literally saved my life without hesitation just because I was their friend. My religion or cultural background was irrelevant to them. I was especially moved when Atop himself stated that he was happy for me to return to my family, but was sad when, that I was leaving. He actually asked me to return with my wife and family to assume a position as a teacher for his village. He offered a home, money, and food, along with protection for us as well. Here was a Muslim leader who thought enough of me that he wanted me, a Christian Westerner, to teach his very own children. I thanked him for his friendship and faith in me and offering me such an important position. Though I would have to decline, I hope that when my own children were grown, I might return with God's blessing. To this day, I correspond with some of my former interpreters who are fortunate enough to have access to the internet. I will always hold my Afghan friends close to my heart and I pray for God's protection for them. <clears throat> now, if you knew Brian like I knew Brian, he didn't go there thinking that. He went there thinking he was going to shoot Muslims. And after 9-11, was happy to do so.
And God turned it around. Like he wants to for all of us. To get along. That we might go along. And that God might be glorified. Let's pray.